Hello, and welcome to the Psych and Business Podcast, where we highlight the integration of psychology and psychological principles into the world of business and organizations. I'm your host, Dr. Ernest Wade. I am really thrilled to introduce you to my guest today because she works with business owners and their management teams in the same way as sports psychologists work with elite athletes. And I love that because I think we all need help. Her name is Dr. Allie Taylor. Dr. Allie Taylor is the CEO and co-founder of Orange Kiwi, a consulting firm that specializes in privately held low to mid-market businesses. Allie's mission as a business psychologist is to help owners and their management teams at points of significant transition. Leveraging psychological principles, Allie and her team help her clients gain the clarity, confidence, and control they need for success in scaling, selling, or transitioning their businesses to the next generation. Allie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ernest. It's a pleasure to be here. Allie, I'm so glad to, that you're here, and I've been really looking forward to talking to you because I really want to hear about the work that you do with business-owned companies. But first, I want to start with your story. You have such an interesting story with your experience in buying and helping family businesses, your master's in family therapy, and your doctorate in business psychology. Please tell us about your how you became a business psychologist with a focus on privately held businesses. <laughs> uh, I suppose that it starts when uh, my marriage blew up. Uh, when I was young, when I was going through college, earning my bachelor's in biology and chemistry, we had a family friend whose business was struggling. He said, can you help? We did. We ended up buying and selling businesses um, that were failing. My husband was great at sales. I was pretty good with people in numbers. That was great until his narcissism and my codependency was, were no longer in balance. <laughs> And it blew up our marriage, blew up the business. It's really ugly. I had no idea that, um, you know, 10 years, 15 years later, I would end up becoming a business psychologist full time. I just went to become a marriage and family therapist um, to help people who are struggling in their marriages. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you've worked clinically with clients, you know that, you know, some of them are there to really dig in and do the work. And some are checking the box yep. on the way a divorce court. I had this mm -hmm. one couple, I was sure the husband was just checking the box, but they stayed for just over a year. And it was really remarkable the way that he dug in. And at the end, he said, you know this, he dropped the bomb, right? You think we're done, we're closing out, everything's great. He grabs the doorknob and you're like, oh no. And he says, you know this thing <laughs> I do with my wife? I do that in spades with my management team can you come help? And I'm like, wow. oh no, a year. And we didn't really get deep change. What's going on? <laughs> and then I found in less than six months, I got more profound change in him by working with him mm -hmm. in his business than by working in a little room with just what he and his wife could bring in. So over time, wow. a curvy, curly path um, and an amazing husband friendner, husband friend business partner, um, who's an ex McKinsey mm -hmm. guy who told me, go back, get your PhD, let's do this right. Um, yeah. And that, that curvy road now allows me to really serve owners and their management team as well. I, I love that story. I mean, I think it, it starts off, it starts off challenging, right? Because I think that some of the, the, the raw, um, you know, difficulty in relationships as you described, but I think that the benefit of that is you, you experience some of the things that you see later on in life, right? As you are working with, 
with uh, with businesses where there's family and stuff like that. So there's a lot of, of benefit there. Uh, I, I want to hear a little bit more about what you do now, right? Because I think, again, working with with family-owned businesses is just just rife for for you know things to go wrong already. So uh, tell us about how you how you go in there and help save the day because I I've worked with some and they are very challenging. They're very challenging, but also it's incredibly rewarding, right? The the number of people that you can impact. It's not just the family. It's sometimes hundreds mm-hmm. or thousands of employees and their families. So I love that. So yeah. when we go in, we're really dealing with um, the family system. Everybody, no matter who we are, we take our families to work with us, right? Because so much of our identity, yes. our motivation, everything is formed in the context of our family. But when you work in a family business and you're a family member, there's no other place where you're separating from the family and getting that individuality and differentiation because you don't have iron sharpening iron in other work environments where you're forced to conform. Everything kind of conforms around the family system. So being you're doing able- multiple roles, your brother, your sister, your father, your boss, you know, like multiple roles there. Absolutely. Keep going with that. Beyond multiple roles, what does that mean? What do you observe? That's a great question. So, um, so, so multiple roles, and then you also have the multiple issues and the relationships that you have in the family also come into play in the business, right? Because I think if you were fighting with your your spouse at, at home, you bring that into the business, right? If you're if you're upset with your son in, or your or your daughter at home, you bring that into the business. It reminds me. So my, <laughs> this is a, just a really quick story here. Okay. My uh, my wife used to work for her dad when she was very young and he would get mad at her, fire her and ground her the same day and then forcibly rehire her to come back to work when he needed more people. So that's an example of just the chaotic business and and family relationship there. That is a really great example. And as sad as it is to say that happens all the time, it's more common than less common. Because we don't have, especially in multi-generational family businesses, where most fam- many of the family members who work in the business have never worked anywhere else, the family repeats hmm. the same patterns over and over and over. They also carry yeah. transgenerational trauma through over and over and over. And so they build management teams yeah. around them that can work in that environment. And that they don't have the opportunity to have an intervention because they don't know any different. Until that's, that's a, a really great comes. point. That's 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 a really great point. You're saying they haven't worked anywhere else, and so this is all that they know, and so this becomes their normal, and so this is kind of how they this dysfunctional functioning. Yes. Now overlay success bias, and how would we predict human behavior to happen? Right. They, the success bias. Mm-hmm. We've been successful in the past doing these things. If we keep doing these yes. things, we'll be successful in the future, and that creates fear and hesitation to change. Because the unknown is kind of scary. That's a place we've never yes. been. I see that all the time, right? What what worked for us to get us here is going to work for us to get us there. And that's that's just not the case, right? Think, the environment is constantly changing. You have to be adaptable. Yes. Especially because nobody really can pinpoint it. Different researchers say different things. But somewhere in the early 2000s, we moved from a linear rate of societal and technological change to an exponential rate. And so, and family systems don't change that fast. 
So now where mm-hmm, we had this mm-hmm. competitive advantage as a family system, working harder, buying together, what sometimes advisors or people from the outside look as weaknesses, it's actually a strength for them in the business. Mm-hmm. They've used coping behaviors to really drive past obstacles others can't. Well, now in this linear rate of change, if we're well, not open what's to an new example ways, of that, Allie? we'll be in trouble. Yeah, a great, uh, something that happens all the what's time. What's an example of that? What's an example of that? Generational transition. Mm-hmm. So I have a family, um, I have to be super careful. I have a family that has um, five siblings in one generation and they have 17, mm-hmm. almost 19, um, two more coming in in the next generation. The way this generation worked was wow. all consensus driven leadership and the power dynamics, mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. would just acquiesce, but they never learned to look broadly at the landscape. And they could get away with that because change wasn't happening as fast. Now, in this generation, just the rate of technological okay. change is forcing the next generation mm-hmm. to try and use an approach to problem solving that is very different than their parents, but their parents are still involved in the business mm-hmm. and have control through influence, even though ownership is transitioned. It- so it's holding them back. That's really interesting, right? And and that's a great example of what you're talking about, right? What the way you run a business with five people, five family members is different than seventeen, nineteen family members. You can't you can't do that consensus building there. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Plus siblings are different. They grew up in the same nuclear family. Once you have the next generation, mm-hmm. those sibling nuclear families each blended with five other because they're all married five other nuclear families and they had to renegotiate. So those cousins now are having to do tremendous amounts of renegotiation, plus all the branch dynamics that come in when you look at what I call Pacey or how power manifests through authority control and influence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's boy, you know, the, the multi-layered effect of family run businesses just seems really very challenging. And one of the things that you've mentioned that I, that I really want to ask you about is the owner's psychology, because I think this is where really the psychology comes into play. How does how does the owner's psychology impact the way that a, a family-run business is run and some of the challenges that they have? Yeah, that's a great question. Lots of research on entrepreneurial personality. Um, five attributes are, are very common in entrepreneurs to a, a higher degree than we would find in the general population. That is a tolerance for ambiguity. They don't need to have a plan for everything. They're very good mm-hmm. at figuring out just as they go. Very high innovativeness of the ability to see <laughs> and seize opportunities that nobody else can. A risk-taking propensity. Mm-hmm. They take risks that other people think are crazy, and they take them because they believe that they can control yeah. the outcome of that. An exceptionally high need for goal achievement. If they're not conquering something, the next challenge, and next obstacle, you know, out-competing their peers, they're not satisfied. And the last one is an internal look of mm-hmm. the control that is very strong. It's, it's a very high need to control mm-hmm. their environment and their world. So those entrepreneurial traits are yeah. one. But how they get those needs met through the business then helps shape their identity. And we get what's called mm-hmm. entrepreneurial role identity fusion, where the self-identity and the role identity aren't easy to separate. And so if they stop being an owner, Mm -hmm. who Mm -hmm. are they? How do they get their motivational drivers met? Mm -hmm. That all of that also plays into the management team that they built. So, so if you have an owner 
who is, is pretty tightly fused with their business, what happens when they need to transition ownership to somebody else? Because as you said, that becomes part of their identity. Yeah. Well, in family, a successful family transitions start five to seven years before you actually transition. What that allows us to do is create clarity for the business, the money, and then the individual selves for what is and is not important, what is and is not achievable. And it allows us to support the the now generation to create a new future, a new way of being and doing beyond their transition. Some of them, it's, it's really sad. Some of them end up being pushed out um, without mm. having that support, oftentimes because they're unwilling to embrace it. They, they don't have the capacity until it's too late. That's, those are the yeah. saddest ones. But there's the majority of them, if you can give them the right support and put the right process around them, they are able to make new meaning mm-hmm. for themselves and for their family. And it's really about significance, getting significance, needs no. met, and identity, and all those motivational forces that keep us healthy. Now, you said five, five to seven years, which is just, an, an, just a great number in my mind. I just, are, are, are most of these businesses thinking that far ahead and, and you know, coming to you or, or others like you to help them plan this out thoughtfully and carefully? Or are they, are they mostly getting pushed out, like as you mentioned? Well, I can only talk about the population that I work with. I hear lots of stories of them getting mm-hmm. pushed out and it's already done. And that, that that's a different story. Oftentimes, then they need deep clinical intervention, just one-to-one. And that that's not my space, but I've got a great team of, of people that I can refer them to. For the ones that do call me early, mm-hmm. it's oftentimes the, the next generation or the rising generation. And how do we do this and how do we do it well? Mm-hmm. Um, or a non-family executive okay, okay. who sees the freight train coming. In those cases, they do because their <laughs> planning cycles are how, you know, they're used to the three to five year strategy. So we can get some really yeah. good momentum if they start to overlay succession as part of that strategic planning process. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you, your approach, you have a specific approach to this with the, the three uh, approach that you have with my business, my money, and myself. Can you can you walk us through that and explain to us how you apply that to help businesses and, and, and leaders transition? Yeah. First thing we do is help them define what they do and don't want at a values level for mom. And that's management, ownership, mm-hmm. and money. What do we want here as individuals and okay. as a family? Then we go down and we've identified the three domains you mentioned, the business, the money, and the self. And what we know is there are 22 variables in those three domains that they have to wrestle through. So in the business, it's everything from people, culture, valuation, capital, system, structure. They have to get those right. The business is the thing that everything else revolves Mm -hmm. around. And then the money is also linked. So do we have the right legal structures? Do we have, and I don't do any of the legal work. I don't do any of the financial and wealth planning, but Mm -hmm. I help them find a great team of people. There's always gaps in that domain. They think they have it covered and they don't. Mm -hmm. Before they can do any kind of transition, they have to wrestle that out to take the emotional labor out of all the other Mm -hmm. stuff. Let's just create clarity there. 
And then, yeah. and that's also great tax planning. And then why we're doing that, we're also working on the variables in the self-domain because those are the things that will get them stuck when it comes to decision-making for themselves and others. So getting to know themselves, what they want, mm-hmm. how they make decisions, how they do the, how they do the work of leaders, vision, alignment, and execution, and where it's a strength and where it's not, and get them to learn to understand their family's story and how it shaped each of them as individuals. That makes everything else much easier. Mm. So, so I, I, I'm really I'm latching onto what you've said of get them to understanding their family story and how that's shaped them as individuals. Do you also talk about how that shapes the business as a whole? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really interesting. I just had a couple of families pop into my head. It's really interesting that when you do that work, people think, especially if you're three or four generations in, people think they know the family story and they've mm-hmm. told it a hundred times. Why are we doing this? But when you spend two or three mm-hmm. hours going back and telling it from each person's different lens, you you learn a completely different thing. So I had one where the sons refused to get in the plane with their dad. Refused. He was a pilot, private plane. It it made him so proud to be able to do that. The boys just flat out refused. Um, for one, it was just defiance. For another, it was mm. fear. And it wasn't until they heard the mm. family story and realized their dad never graduated high school, but he built a $150 million construction company. Their dad believed he didn't have value or worth, that he really couldn't do anything other than this one piece. And so he went out and learned to fly to prove to himself that he was more than just this one box that he had put in. The defiant son started crying. The son that was afraid recognized that he shared the same fear that his dad shared. They just had different labels. And that all came from telling the family story. And that mm-hmm. broke a lot of the conflict that they were having because they learned new things about themselves and each other. That is just so powerful to hear about the, the work that you do with the individuals and, and the family d- and dynamic, like taking all of those things in, into account as you're working with a family business. I, I really appreciate the, um, the psychological nature that you're, you're bringing to bear here, you know, the focus on that human behavior, and really helping people understand, you know, how, how their behaviors and, and their experiences really influences not just their actions, but also impacts the business as a whole. Yeah, it's true. Even the management team, um, when you think about, you know, if you go to work for IBM, <laughs> they have a set of norms that don't exist in a mm-hmm. family business, right? That you're managed on clear mm-hmm. performance standards, you don't perform, they're going to replace you. You don't do that very often in a family business. You tolerate a lot more. And so executives have mm. to learn to do that. And executives that survive well in a family business probably wouldn't do very well at IBM. And so it's then mm. how do we, if we're going to so, intervene in the system, we also have to be okay risking some people not being able to, to move through. So legacy employee issues become a real challenge. So, so you talked about the, the management teams. Are, are the management teams in these businesses mostly or, or completely made of family members? Or do you have non-family members included in there? Because it, I, can, I can see how if you don't have, if you have non-family members included in there and you have this family dynamic, as you said, some of the, the coping approaches 
may seem or may conflict with somebody who isn't part of the family member? How does that all work? Hiring. Um, so first, family businesses, they're not homogenous, right? They're, they come in all different shapes and flavors. Mm-hmm. I know some who have many owners who say we are we're, the CEO is going to be a family member. Everything else, they call it professionalized management oftentimes. There'll be non-family members all the way through okay. to we only have family members in key executive roles, oftentimes compromising the skills that we need. That, that's the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And we find family members all along there. And the spectrum, let's say, more to the, towards having family members involved and the key roles, mm-hmm. they almost always need non-family members. Matter of fact, I can't think of a case where they didn't need some non-family member expertise at scale. So above 50 million mm-hmm. in annual revenue, you're definitely starting to get some non-family yeah. requirements in there. Very, I don't know a family that has enough of the right skills at the right time above that space. So what they have to do is so, augment so it. Impact the, no, so I'm thinking, how does that impact the, the, the family dynamic? Because I, yeah. you know, if it's not a closed system, if you have somebody external um, come in from, for their professional services, how does that impact the, the family dynamic or does it impact the family dynamic and how does the family adjust to this person or do they not? Does the person have to adjust to the family? How, how does that all interplay? The person will adjust to the family, the culture, the, the family creates hmm. the dominant culture in the business. And if you go back and think about some of the research, just in the general business literature, um, we know that culture is mm-hmm. a really important force. You know, the old adage, culture eats strategy for breakfast. I think that was Peter Drucker. It's so true. Absolutely. And yeah. the family system will be magnified in the business, the good stuff and the not so good stuff, unless they're really intentional about creating something mm-hmm. different, which would then change the family system itself. Yeah. So, so do you find a lot of time the 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 culture of in the organization is essentially the same as the family culture whatever the family culture is they bring that into the workplace exactly or yeah. more or less yeah so when you think about um like power dynamics every family has a set of power mm-hmm. dynamics right we 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 all know this yeah it's often held at the top in a family and whoever that power holder is they're the only people that are going to survive there long enough are people that can adapt to that culture, adapt to that family system. If they can't, they'll either the family members will be marginalized and kind of either pushed out or pushed aside or key or employees will leave and they'll have, Mm -hmm struggle holding on to people in key roles that so if i'm cfo in a company but you don't give me the power and authority of my role but i have all the fiduciary responsibility all the legal exposure and risk i'm not going to stay here very long (laughs) so (laughs) you'll get subpar people who will stay if that's the case Mm -hmm. yeah and that that makes sense right i think that's that's one of those those challenges that i think is very unique to the family dynamic is you, you know, every organization has its own culture, but in this case, it sounds like the, the culture is the family culture and they're just bringing that to work. And so if you have dysfunctional family culture, 
you're going to have a dysfunctional work culture. And a lot of times families don't sit down and think about, well, what is our culture? Let's make sure that we have the right culture. And so, you know, if you're not mindful and thoughtful about that in your, in your family, you bring that into your workplace. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the Allie, first is- go around, that was very true. Uh, like my husband and I, if we had an argument, we, we would just have an argument like yeah, crazy. But my, my current husband, Andrew, who is amazing. And I, we have a rule that by the time we leave the bathroom in the morning, no matter what we've been arguing about in the family, it goes on the shelf. We put on our game face and we'll come back to whatever that issue was. Okay. But our staff better never know about it. So we have another family business, which I swore I'd never do again. We accidentally started it in the <laughs> ERP in, in the ERP space for um, light manufacturers and distributors. Mm-hmm. And hit my oldest biological child and my oldest son, who came mm-hmm. as a package deal the first time around, who I love, best thing, best thing. He's an amazing kid. Um, they work in the business for my husband. And then we okay. have a non-family member who also, um, Andrew knew f- like before he was born. They all work in that business. I wasn't going to, but then they needed HR, OD, culture, and some leadership stuff. So I ended up having to be in there. So we have to, our, the best compliment our staff ever gave us is I didn't know I was joining a family business. And when I found out, I was afraid until I realized you don't function like a family business. That's really and interesting. When I, when I unpacked that, it was all about the experience he would have had w- with me in our first business. Mm-hmm. That Those are the things that, that's the image that's out there because it's real. That's what happens when we don't manage our family dynamics well. Yeah. So it sounds like you're very intentional and thoughtful about making sure that the culture in your family business is not necessarily the same as the culture that you have in your family. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, actually, I would reverse that okay. um, in this case. Andrew and I are really do our best. It's a blended family. It's messy. and They always are. Yeah. We really do our best to make sure that our our family is modeling the great culture we built really intentionally <laughs> in the business, right? So okay, yeah. it's hard, right? I see my biological children and my three mm-hmm. kids in a different way than I see his biological children. We love mm-hmm. them all and we consider them all our kids, but there's this innate drive that is different with those two yeah. groups of kids. Ali, this so is this is so interesting. I mean, I think you, you, what you're describing here, and you are such a great example of this, right? You're talking about the, the family dynamic, and especially if you have a blended family or if your family is a little bit interesting, you know, then you bring that to the workplace. You have to be really very mindful about making sure that the, the way that you're approaching your family dynamic is, is very healthy so that that your fa- your your business is also very healthy, right? Because as you say, you bring what you what you have at work what you have at home to the workplace. So you really have to start at home, making sure that that's healthy. Am I understanding that correctly? 100%. Yeah. That's, <laughs> this is such a great story, Ali. I, 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 we could talk on and on and on, but I want to be respectful of time. How, how do people get a hold of you? Cause I, you know, I can imagine there's so many family businesses out there that say we absolutely need your help to help us figure this out. How do people get a hold of you? Yeah. Um, our website, orange kiwi, LLC.com, or they can reach out by email, Allie at OCKIWI.com, 
and we're happy to, uh, or we've got tons of resources on our website. We're mm-hmm. happy to um, chat, do a call. We've got a great team. If I'm not available, there's a, there's a great team that supports me that can help them. Awesome. And then Ali, I always want to make sure before I let my guests go, you know, we have these great guests on here. What's a free tip that you can give us, you know, something to help in this case, you know, family businesses take it to try to help improve it, especially in this environment that we're all in right now. Yeah. Can I steal the one that you gave just a few minutes ago? Absolutely. Focus, focus on the, your family dynamics in the family business and mm-hmm. make those healthy and strong. Everything else will come. Yeah. You know, I think that's such an aha moment because I, I think even though people have family businesses, they don't necessarily realize that they're bringing what they have and their family into the workplace, right? They might think, oh, this is work or this is family, but really you're bringing that into the workplace. And so it's really important for you, as you said, to focus on your family, look at your dynamic and, and understand that better and understand how it's influencing your your business. So, Alec, thank well you so said. much. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been really fantastic. We're definitely going to have to have you come back because there's just there's so much and so many layers to this that I know we, we barely scratched the surface. It's okay. It's fun. Orange Kiwi is my passion. I, I love it. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to share. Awesome. And to our listeners, we hope you've enjoyed this episode and hope you'll join us next time. 